Let me just uh, start by saying that uh, as Jason was uh, talking about this morning, uh, this has been a uh, challenging week for our community um, as a whole. Um, different people uh, have family members who are dealing with uh, sickness. And um, I just want you to know that uh, if you can, please also reach out to um, some of our congregation members, uh, particularly who lost parents this week. Um, unexpectedly, uh, many of you know Greg Hampton. Um, his father passed away, and um, he's down in Florida now um, attending to his affairs. And then um, also Haley, uh, who we were praying for, her mother um, passed away before uh, she returned to school here at Columbia. So uh, if you have their number, Facebook, or anything otherwise, please make sure to reach out to them and love on them. And uh, we want to be the uh, family of God um, supporting one another, not only in good times, but also in challenging times as well. Amen. Okay, so let's start by uh, praying for them, and then we'll uh, jump into the Word. Uh, Father, we thank you um, so much for your Word to us um, that really reminds us that in both good times and challenging times, you are the one who sustains us, that, God, you're perpetually good. And, God, we're asking that um, during this time of mourning um, in the Hamptons' life and uh, the Cohen's life, um, Father, we're asking that you would draw near to them and that you would be a comfort to them, they and their families. God, we pray that you would strengthen with the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, um, both Greg, Haley, and their families. Um, those that don't know you, God, we're asking that you would use this time um, to really draw those who don't know you to, themse- um, to yourself and save their lives. God, as mortality is considered, God, we're asking that you would save. And Lord, we're asking that you would <clears throat> allow them to um, come back strengthened by your word. Um, strengthened by the love that they receive from your people, and uh, help to continue to walk with you steadfastly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, here, here is the uh, thing that I'm going to start with today, particularly because of uh, what many of our people went through um, this past week. Um, <clears throat> we've been doing a series called The Church Awakens, uh, and we've been going through how to really stay awake and alive in the things and the purposes of God. Um, but I thought it was appropriate to continue in Philippians, uh, which we started with last week, um, with Paul talking about God completing the work that he starts in each one of us, and really uh, talk today about um, the church awakening after we see the things that, were, that could be stumbling blocks to us, um, awakening to an actual trajectory and purpose, which is God meaning for his people to live a life of honor. Okay, to live a life of honor, honor to God. And um, by proxy, when uh, we honor God, he bestows honor upon his people and how to live a life of honor. Um, but it's sort of uh, appropriate to uh, think about this because I think it's uh, John Steinbeck, who many of you know, um, as an author, he said in Travels with Charlie in Search of America, we value virtue, uh, but do not discuss it. The honest bookkeeper, the faithful wife, the earnest scholar get little of our attention compared to the embezzler, the tramp, and the cheat. And especially in our culture today, that's true, is it not? What's newsworthy or uh, what's even um, Facebook post-worthy are the things that are negative and going wrong rather than the virtues that God tries to instill in the um, people of God and society as a whole um, to shape it. 
Um, but I think that it's appropriate to look at Paul's life because he sort of re- represented a paradox that in the midst of tremendous trial and in, in the midst of tremendous suffering as he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, years later, centuries later even, we look back on his life because he centered his life to be focused on the honor of God. He, we look at him as a man of honor, though at the time of his life he was dishonored. He was dishonored during his earthly life, but now, years later, he's a man looked at as the one who is to be honored. We obviously have Jesus Christ himself as the same, right? Um, in his earthly life, he was dishonored and he was crucified uh, for the sins of humanity. But obviously now the wor- world round worships him. Billions around the world worship him as the son of God, the creator, the uh, incarnate God um, because of his sacrifices, life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. But um, Paul starts by talking about this uh, paradox when he says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, What then? In the midst of trial, he's talking. In the midst of his imprisonment for preaching the gospel, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. If we're going to live a life of honor, our life is meant for Christ to be proclaimed. In both word and in deed, Christ needs to be proclaimed. The gospel needs to be proclaimed through our lives. And he says, And in that I rejoice because it's proclaimed. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, meaning his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That Christ will be honored in my body. That's the end goal of our life, right? That Christ Jesus would be honored in our body in all of our thinking, in all of our speech, in all of our interactions, in our relationships with others. It's not just talking about your speech. It's also talking about your physical interactions with others, right? Your sexuality. It's that Christ would be honored in your body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again." So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of the obstacles, even to the preaching of the gospel that Paul was experiencing during his lifetime, he said that ultimately I'm still here to honor God in my body. I'm still here for the benefit of the church that I'm serving. And sometimes when people are suffering, the thing that they want to do, especially when they already serve Christ, is they want to push the eject button, right? And they want to say, all right, it's finished. It's done. Let me get out of here. You know, I ran the race. I, you know, I, I, I kept the faith and now I want to go on and be with Christ, which is better by far. But the thing is, is that Paul understood. He said, if you're here and you remain, it's so that you can actually honor Christ in your body and be a benefit to others who do not yet know him who do not yet know him and not only do not yet know him, but those who might know him might need to be strengthened in the same types of sufferings that 
that they're going through that you yourself have endured and have been comforted in, it in the midst of your love and relationship with Christ Jesus. So as we go into this week thinking about living a life of honor and we even consider the suffering that some of our uh, family members here in the church are enduring themselves, understand this, that God himself says that it's so that he might be honored in your body, in life or in death, yummy, you know I that you are still here and you remain to strengthen and embolden those who know him and to actually reach those who do not. The gospel in suffering or in triumph is always good news. It's always good news because Christ lives. He's raised from the dead and this life is not all that there is. But whenever we think about the idea of honor, we need to sort of think about it in three terms. And this is, if you're taking notes, how we're going to break it up today. We need to think about what the honor in terms of what the world says honor is. Number two, what God says honor is. And finally, how in the midst of all of these things, we turn our honor to Christ. How we turn our honor to Christ. When the church awakens, we see that our lives are those that aren't meant to fall into the reactionary malaise of our fallen world. But your life is meant to be marked by honor. The honor of God and the honor he bestows upon you for honoring him. We think about even uh, uh, Abraham in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, the father of the faith that started it all, right? In Genesis chapter 12, he came to Abram in the midst of a pagan culture. And he says, I'm calling you out, right? I'm calling you out and I'm going to set you apart and call you to live a different way in the midst of this pagan community. And he says, hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. But here's the end of the matter. At the end of the day, I myself will make your name great. I myself will make your name great and I'll honor you because you yourself build your life in such a way where you're living for my praise and my honor in the earth. Paul repeated that whenever he was talking to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says, hey, listen, come out from among them and be separate. If you are going to live in a life of honor, you cannot be like the rest of the world. You cannot just try to play the game the way the rest of the world plays the game and expect to be honored by God in the midst of the culture and the society in which we live. Jesus very clearly said that you're to be salt and light, right? He said, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden and salt of the earth that actually looks to flavor and to shape that culture in which it finds itself. Jesus in talking to his disciples said, you are going to not separate yourself from the world, but you're going to be in the world, but not of it, right? If you're going to live in a life of honor, you need to learn to be in the world, but not of it living by different principles. And so what we see is God himself, to create a life of honor in his people, he first pulls you out of the culture to be set apart to him that you might be sent back into it to shape it. And that's the design of God. That's the design of the gospel. So what the world says honor is, is we can obviously readily um, attribute the uh, sort of characteristics that the world um, gives people when they um, try to honor them. They continually talk about honor in these categories. They talk about honor in the terms of wealth, prestige, titles, physical beauty, sexual prowess, and power. How many people would agree with that? Now, when the world is talking about honor, if somebody's to be honored, these are the qualities that they need to have about themselves. Whole cultures are built around the concept of honor. And even Confucius in the Analects actually said this, though. He actually put a pause on it, and he said, to be wealthy and honored in an unjust society is a disgrace. So the thing about it is, is that even though people are giving themselves to these things to try to attain honor, honor in the midst of a corrupt society. It's a disgrace, in fact, if you're honored in a society that's defunct. 
Does that make sense to you? It's like if you pursue honor in things that are broken, it's actually a dishonor to you if you actually achieve it within that society by those means. And so what God's telling us is that we've got to be called out to live differently and ask him what he says about honor. Now, this is obviously just a shameless plug for our volunteer fair next week, but we'll talk first of all about what Jesus said in terms of honor, in terms of the relationship that we have to one another. In John 13, verses 12 through 16, Jesus, right before he was crucified and went to the cross, he actually began to humble himself. The Lord of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, humbled himself And in a culture where they were wearing a bunch of Birkenstocks, anybody remember Birkenstocks back in the day? Listen, I need some toes on my shoes. But it's like, listen, Birkenstocks back in the day, they were walking around with them, getting their feet dirty in the sand. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to do something for you that's going to show you how you yourself are to live and how you yourself are to model a life of honor. He said, when he had washed their feet and put on on, on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand after washing their feet, what I've done for you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so Jesus is saying to live a life of honor, first of all, as opposed to what the culture would identify, to live a life of honor, you're going to be a servant, right? You're going to be a servant. Whenever I first came to Christ, I was looking <laughs> to actually put that actually word into practice. And I would look to ask friends and family members of mine, can I wash your feet? And they're like, back up. what you talking about, dude? I was like, it's like, I was trying to put it into practice. See, I didn't understand the cultural context that somebody wearing Nikes didn't necessarily need their feet washed in the same way that they did back in the day. But I was trying to do it. I was trying to say, Jesus did it. I want to do it too, right? But we should have that same attitude. Jesus went on and said, hey, listen, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over one another. If they're to be honored, they want to be in charge. They want to be the ones who walk around out with puffed out chest, with proxy, you know, in their step with a little bounce to it. And they want to um, to actually order people around. But Jesus said, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of many. And that's how God himself is um, talking about and characterizing honor. So if we're to be people as opposed to the world's uh, definition um, of honor, who are going to be honored by the Lord, he says, number one, we need to love him, obey his commands, but also follow him in the way of honor in the church. Okay, so what does honor look like in this manner when he bestows it upon us or when we begin to practice it amongst each other. I'm bringing this up because of the fact that in our lives in general, we are most often by nature reactionary people. And we begin to allow things to slide in our culture and in our everyday interactions with one another that are just the way things are. It's just the way that people do things. If you grew up in a particular family, and many of you will realize this as you come together in uh, romantic relationships with one another, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the same ethnicity or in the same socioeconomic class. How many people know that when you come together as a man and a woman, then what's going to happen is that you have two different cultures that you're coming from. 
because you came from two different households. Anybody ever realize that? It's sort of like, this is the way that my parents did things. This is the way that my household do things. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden you're having to overcome the obstacles of different cultures and learn to live with one another in that way. And so what you don't realize in the midst of that interaction is, is that you're reacting to life and you're reacting to your spouse or you're reacting to your significant other in ways that are just normative to you, but it's not normal to everybody else. It might be normal to you to, uh, you know, clean up immediately after dinner and to put dishes away. You know what I mean? It might be normal for uh, your spouse to leave it overnight and just let it marinate. You know what I mean? It might, it might, those are two different cultures, right? It might be normal, you know what I mean, for you to express yourself in a way that's quiet and you know, um, sharp and very precise in your um, communication. It might be normal for your spouse to get very animated and emotional. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden what you're seeing is that two different cultures have to come together, converge and learn how to actually be godly no matter where you're coming from. Right. Be godly no matter where you start. That's the point. And actually God does it by establishing a premium of honor upon um, your lips, honoring him and then honoring one another. So what does honor look like in God's sight? It means to esteem. It means to protect And it means to build the reputation, resources, or support of a community rather than to tear it down. It's expressing gratitude and thankfulness for a service or job valiantly pursued. Valiantly pursued. It's meaning saying thank you even if it's not to your liking. Whenever somebody's cooking for you, it doesn't matter if it tastes like your mama's. If they made a good effort... You need to thank them and honor them, right? Okay, well, <laughs> some, I'm trying to help some of you. It's sort of like it's for an effort valiantly pursued and not what's esteemed in your mind as perfection. It's to search for and make it your focus to commend the noble qualities of an individual and to praise them, Right? When we honor God, that's what we're doing towards him, right? We're esteeming his noble qualities and we're praising the eternal God. We're not looking for all of the things going wrong in our life and trying to blame him for it. What we're doing is we're saying, God, thank you for what has gone and right in my life. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my deliverance. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for things that I don't even understand and can't see right now, but you've been good to me and I can see that and I'll praise you. For it. It's doing that to God and it's doing that to people that you can see, touch, and hear from. That's living a life of honor. But it's not our, in our nature to do that. It's not in our nature to do that. A lot of times people don't want to live a life of even verbal, verbally communicated honor because they think that it's always having to agree with somebody that to honor them, I have to agree with them. And we'll get down into this. We're going to talk about it in terms of the family. We're going to talk about it in terms of your workplace. We're going to talk about it in terms of the community. And we're going to talk about it in terms of the church, okay? It's like, but we think that to honor somebody means that we have to agree with them or to actually overlook wrongdoing or evil. To actually come into um, agreement with them does not mean to honor them. It is instead looking to bless them rather than cursing them. 
them. It's actually looking like Christ to be a source of redemption in any scenario rather than a source of condemnation. And the truth is, is that all of us need to think in these terms if we're going to live a life of honor before God and have any healthy relationships going forward. Because our natural issue in this culture and society is to pick things apart, to actually tear people down rather than build them up. Is it not true? It's sort of like this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, God has invested in me an authority from Christ to build you up rather than to tear you down. But in relationships, in the workplace, and families. We're always looking to be the initial pundit rather than somebody who's on the same team and restoring the situations in which we find ourselves. And God's saying, if you're going to be a person, a man or a woman of honor, you've got to be Christ-like and look to have the same attitude as him to build rather than tear down. And we'll do it and talk about it in practical means. In John 3, verses 17 through 18, obviously many of us are familiar with John three sixteen, the gospel message where God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But many of us stop there because we think that's accomplished at all. But it also right after that in the next verses talks about the attitude Christ had in his coming, the attitude that he exemplified for us to live a life of honor himself and then to exemplify for his people who would follow after him. He said in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It will free your heart is the point. If you come into alignment with Christ in this way, it will free your heart from being perpetually cynical, a fault finder and a despiser of authority, which is really bondage in our hearts anyway. Anybody ever been a fault finder by nature? Go into any scenario, you, whether it be your family, your workplace, or you know I mean, your relationships with your friends, and you're always picking things apart. If you're perpetually a fault finder, it's actually bondage for you. And it's actually <clears throat> not only bondage, but it's pride, thinking that you can always do things better, faster, and stronger, right? Not knowing what the people you're criticizing had to go through to do what they're doing in the first place. Anybody realize that? Has anybody ever been there before? I'm going to talk to you about it in terms of family in a minute here because it's sort of like in this generation um, particularly, it's almost become a thing for everybody to seek therapy by criticizing their parents. You know what I'm talking about? It's encouraged in this generation. It's sort of like, tell me what your parents did to you. And I'll tell you, you know, how you can be healed and how you can be saved. Well, let me tell you what your parents first did to you. They fed you. They clothed you. If they were wise, they spanked you. Right? <laughs> right? That's what the Bible says. It says, whoever loves his child is careful to discipline them. That's what I say in my home. <laughs> okay? And so it's like, I love you. Whip it bap. <laughs> okay? And the thing about it is, is that what we do is we criticize the very things that are to be models to you and actually should be honored because they're doing their best in that scenario to serve you. Whether they know Christ or not, we need to be people who honor what we can and speak to that which we cannot to see them come to Christ. It will free you if you actually leave this type of attitude. 
when you actually have a life looking to honor God and honor the scenarios and the people he puts you in contact with, it instead empowers you to be a team player, a servant, one who is humbly looking to be part of the solution in any scenario rather than the armchair quarterback we'll likely be hearing from next week during the Super Bowl. Amen. All right. Cam Newton should have done this and done that. Well, (laughs) I don't see you flipping into an end zone. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So here are some places that honor can actually help you in little um, sort of pithy quotes that will help summarize them. First of all, living a life of honor to Christ in the home. Let me just give you some practical things. Awakening to the tendencies we have and actually turning to the things of God. There's so much that can be said here, and I'm just going to tell you honestly, I did not allow B to see this, B is my wife, uh, to see the message this week because usually she chops it down and makes like five different messages that I try to cram into one. You know what I mean? She says, space it out. I didn't let her see it this week, so (laughs) do what you can with it. Okay, so So here's the thing. First of all, in the home, it's the little words that count. It's the little words that count. Okay? In the home, it's the little words that count. You will build or destroy your home based on the words that come off of your mouth. Everybody understand that? You will build or destroy your home by the words that come off of your mouth. In Ephesians, we love the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul's talking to families and he actually says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, right? Living a life of honor. Honor your father and mother. You notice here he doesn't actually give a qualifier for this. He doesn't say honor those who deserve honor. He doesn't say respect those who deserve respect. He said honor them regardless. And every parent could say amen to that, right? It's sort of like one of the things that you need to do is learn to honor those who've been authorities in your life that you yourself might know how to receive it and expect it when it's coming back towards you. If you don't give it out, don't expect it to come back to you. That's a reciprocal law of God. Is that not true? He said, we are ultimately going to reap what you sow. And if all you're doing is disdaining your parents who've gone before you, you cannot expect it to come back to you when you're trying to raise your own family. I'm telling that especially to young people who are on the precipice of starting their family lives. You need to make peace with your own home. You need to make peace with your own parents. And if you've had parents who were unsafe and did not do it right, pray for them and bless them and cry out for them. But do not curse them. They did their best. And you need to learn to honor them. I'm talking about parents who weren't even around for you. You understand me? Parents who were not around for you, you need to find a way to honor them. And how powerful of a communication of the gospel would that be when those who were abusing or violating or rejecting you receive the love of God and the grace of God, giving them what they don't deserve from their children who otherwise should disdain them. That's a clear communication of Christ and of honor. And he said, listen, it's the first command with a promise tell my kids that all the time. Listen, obey your parents because that's the first command with a promise. You will live. Okay. And so it's sort of like, it's like, listen, it's like, listen, it's the truth of the matter, right? But he says it starts with honor because God's always saying, if you can't honor your earthly authorities who you can see, how are you going to honor God who you can't see? 
If you cannot love the man or the woman in front of you who you can touch, how do you expect to honor God and love God who you can't? God's saying, I've given you earthly examples to learn to honor him through what you can see and touch. He said it's the first command with a promise for you that it might go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Proverbs 18, 21 says how you do it. He says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it eat its fruits, right? How do you speak about your parents? How do you speak about those who are in authority? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your friends? How do you speak about your church community? How do you speak about your workplace environment? How do you speak about it? You can either curse it or you can bless it. And God's calling you to honor it in the ways that you can by being a blessing and speaking life. The word of blessing is all throughout the Bible as a theme, right? You start in the Old Testament, go to the New. He's continually trying to bless the people, not curse them. As we already talked about, Jesus came to save, not to condemn. What about in the community? In the community, living a life worthy of honor. George Bernard Shaw said this, the most tragic thing in the world is a man of genius, many people of genius in here, great academics, a man of genius who is not a man or a woman of honor. Louisa May Alcott and the Little Men. Anybody watch Little Women over the Christmas holidays? Okay, love it. All right, tradition. All right, so Louisa May Alcott said, simple genius and a little men said, simple, ge- um, sorry, simple genuine goodness is the best capital to be found for the, <clears throat> to found the business of life upon. It lasts when fame and money fail and is the only riches we can take out of this world with us. And to live a life of honor in the community means that you need to learn to live a life of wisdom wherever you find yourself. To live a life of wisdom wherever you find yourself. And I'm not talking about the wisdom of the world. There's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God, which are two different types of wisdom. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, the wisdom of the world actually tells you that you can cheat, manipulate, steal, and do whatever you need to to get ahead. The wisdom of God says, I'm going to do things in integrity and in character and in transparency so that God himself can look upon it, let his light shine upon it and bless it, opening doors that no man can shut. And how about this shutting doors that no man can open when they need to be? See, if you do things right and integrity, according to the wisdom of God, he said he will protect you, but not only will he protect you, but actually he'll give you certain promises. This is what he says in Proverbs chapter eight. He talks about living as wisdom because he says in Proverbs two, that wisdom proceeds from his mouth. Wisdom comes into agreement with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom comes into agreement with the commands of God. And in Proverbs eight, starting at verse 12, he said, I wisdom dwell together with prudence and I find knowledge, <clears throat> I find knowledge and discretion. He says the fear of the Lord. That's where wisdom um, resides. The fear of the Lord. When you're in your workplace, when you're in your home, you're thinking about how do I honor God and fear him in these interactions? How do I honor God and fear him in my work ethic? How do I honor God and fear him with everything that I put my hands to? He says the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, right? Not playing around with it, not thinking that it's okay to dabble in it. He says, if you love God, you're going to hate something and that thing is evil. You don't hate people. You hate the evil that they do, right? And so he says, what you need to do is have wisdom to hate evil. But he says, pride and arrogance 
and the way of evil or perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. And I love that word, strength. That's what the church needs sometimes, right? Anybody love some strength? We get our strength by honoring God. Let me tell you, people of God, you find strength at the cross. When you're weak, he's strong, right? And we can actually say, when I give myself to his ways, I become strong, even though according to the ways where, um, the ways of the world, it might seem weak in the moment. I'm actually by wisdom becoming strong. He says, because by me, this wisdom, this godly wisdom, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. If you have leadership in your workplace, many of you are in a leadership role in your business right now. And you're thinking about how am I to govern in the midst of an ungodly environment? What do I do? Well, he's saying, seek godly wisdom. And in this Bible, God gives you even an understanding of how to interact with those that you lead that you might actually govern with wisdom according to the ways of God. He says, by me, kings and queens reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. He says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Meaning that every day before you go into your workplace, you should be, or your academic life, you should be crying out to God. God, give me wisdom for how to lead in this place today. God, give me business acumen. Give me understanding about how to lead this team of volunteers. God, teach me how to live in a way that honors you, that you might bestow honor upon me. Okay? He said, all who govern justly. He says, riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. Not momentary wealth, but enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Proverbs 21, 21 summarizes it when the writer says, whoever pursues righteousness and here's how you live in honor, kindness. Simple word, but a powerful word. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Some of us just need to learn to be kind. Just kind. That's how you can live a life of honor. If somebody looks at you and they think you're pretty rickety, you just might be. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like, you know, people can say like, listen, it's all about the perception. That's not what, anybody ever like communicate with like a friend or family member of theirs before and like they got offended at you and then you were like, well, you, why are you all offended? You chill out. It's not what I meant. Anybody ever like say something like that to a family member or a friend before when you were in a disagreement with them? Why are you upset with me? Getting all frazzled. It's all out of context. It's not what I meant. Well, how about this, baby? It doesn't matter what you meant. It matters what they heard. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And probably what happened is the very thing that you were communicating wasn't in kindness. It was the way that you felt about it, right? And God's saying, if you're going to live a life of honor towards him, some of us, fruit of the Holy Spirit, just need to learn to be kind. Practice hospitality, the Bible says. Some of us need to just practice kindness. If you always have like an ornery look on your face, let me tell you something. Either you need to change your diet or you need to actually do something, you know, to get before the face of God and let kindness come out of your heart, right? This is what he's talking about. You honor God through kindness, in your home, in your workplace, in your daily interactions with people. You honor him, he'll honor you. Let's move on to the workplace. 
One of the things that we can do to actually live a life of honor in the workplace is don't drown in water cooler gossip. How about that? Don't drown in water cooler gossip. Some of you don't even have a water cooler anymore. That's all right. You know what I mean. Okay? The point is, is that it's just full of gossip and backbiting and criticism all the time in the midst of the workplace. How many people know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like always a problem, always something going wrong. The boss is always doing something that we don't like. And so you always start talking about it, right? And it's easier to do that than to actually be a solution to the issue, right? It is easier to actually... (laughs) Just join along with the things that you don't like rather than actually stepping up and saying, how can actually we help him or her to do things better? How can we come along and serve them in that place? Let me tell you one of my favorite examples. We don't have time um, to go through the scripture, but one of my favorite examples of that, you can write it down and look at it later, is 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 10, when King David, the man after God's own heart, was on the run from Saul was on the run from Saul, his predecessor, right? And the predecessor, jealous of young David because he knew he was coming for his crown, wanted to kill him, right? And so he was coming after him again and again and again. So David had to move from place to place, hiding in caves and, you know what I mean, going from place to place looking for shelter. And it said that over and over again, Saul almost pounced upon him, but God saved him. And one of my favorite examples is God, like God allowed Saul to go into a cave to relieve himself. And David and his men were in the corner of the cave. And his men were like, listen, David, the time has come. God has anointed you to be king. It's time for you to step up and take your rule. Take him out. Take him out. When his pants are down, not metaphorically, but truly. He said, listen, take him out. And David went up and cut a piece of his robe. And he said, yeah, you know, my my men are for me. This must be the time. He cut the robe and then it said he was conscience stricken. He was conscience-stricken. He's like, what what, what am I doing? Because I know this is reciprocal. Yo, God might have anointed me to be king, but this is going to come right back to me. Isn't that what history tells us? Anybody love history? Anybody a history buff in here? King, okay, well, maybe not. History channel. All right, so it's sort of like, you know, kings and rulers throughout the ages, right? There's some sort of mutiny or anarchy. They take one king out, and then the one who immediately goes into power is killed by one of his sons, Right? Isn't that the truth? It's just reciprocal over and over again in nature. And David says, like, listen, I will not lay my hand upon God's anointed. Now, you might say to yourself in your workplace, this boss of mine is not anointed of the Lord. I know that that God himself, his spirit is not upon them. You know what I mean? I don't know what you're talking about, but let me tell you something. God himself says, Romans 13, that he establishes rulers and authorities. He himself delegates authority to governors. In the land, right? Nobody can say in this land, this, this land, meaning America, I don't believe in the speed limit. That law was not anointed of God. Well, you go ahead and do that and see how far you get. Okay, listen, the point is, he says, I've appropriated that government to an appointed leader. God himself has endorsed that leadership for that time. And David said, I'm not going to touch it myself. If God wants to deal with it, he can If God wants to, and how many people know that God will deal with injustice? God will deal with evil. So even though there was an issue in Saul, his predecessor, he said, I'm not going to lay my hand on God's anointed. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to honor him and leave my men to do the same. And then God made sure that Saul was taken out. 
right? Let me tell you, God can make sure that your boss, that wicked boss, is taken out. Everybody understand that? But in the meantime, what's your responsibility? Your responsibility is to live a life of honor. To live a life of honor before God. I, I, I can't have them summarize it in any better way than this, but check this out. In Proverbs twenty-seven eighteen, can we put it up there, please? He said this. He said, this, this one cut me to the heart. Cut me to the heart, especially as a young man starting in the uh, workforce. I started um, working first at the bank, and then I went into um, the ministry. And I was like, what in the world? You know, and how often, like, my young friends and I would just talk and talk and talk and poison the water. And I was like, you know. And it's like, but then I saw this one reading my Bible. He says, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master, which means your boss. There ain't no slavery nowadays, okay? But whoever guards their master will be honored. Have you thought about that? Who do you think your boss is going to look to for promotion first? It's not going to look to the one who's like complaining all the time. The one who's always talking about, right? And you can feel it. Can you not? Have you ever walked into a room and felt that people were talking about somebody, but then all of a sudden they straighten up when you come in the room, right? Has that ever happened to anybody before? You can feel it in the atmosphere. Let me tell you, they're not stupid. They can feel it too. And so he says, listen, if you want to be honored, God's going to honor the one who looks after his master, whether they're righteous or not, because he's put them in there for a time. And if you honor them, he'll honor you. Okay? Just trying to make it practical for everyday life. Let's talk finally about the church and the church. Let me tell you something, that honor can be boiled down. Last pithy quote, honor can be boiled down to loyalty. Honor can be boiled down to the idea and the concept of loyalty. G.K. Chesterton actually said this, we are all in the same boat in a stormy sea and we owe each other a terrible loyalty. Meaning everybody's going through something. Everybody is going through something. Can Can everybody say amen to that? Everybody is going through something. It's just a different flavor or a different type. And he said, we're all in the same boat and we owe each other a terrible loyalty in the midst of that. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he said, let love be genuine. What, you require, what he requires of you to honor God and therefore honor one another is he said, if you love me, you'll love one another too, right? He said, if you love me, practically you'll love one another. And he said, love can't be feigned. It cannot be in pretense. It must be genuine. Some of us need to just stop and think about God and his nature and love, right? How do I love people well? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, it's not rude, it doesn't boast, right? Then how about this, keep record of wrongs. He said love must be genuine. He said abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. And then this is the kicker. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. That means it's a competition. Anybody competitive in here? Come on now. Anybody competitive in here? Anybody like some sports? Anybody like to compete? Anybody like to win? Come on now. You need to buck up. Listen, we like to win. Guess what? You and Christ are on the winning side. Amen. I like being on the winning side. I don't know about you. Christ wins. Doesn't matter what's going on in this world right now. He's coming back as a conquering king. 
King of kings, Lord of lords, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, proclaiming he is Lord. That's the side I want to be on. But in the midst of it, I'm going to be competitive. How am I going to be competitive? Not for my own fame or honor or glory, not even for the churches, but for outdoing one another in honor. That's his command. How can we outdo one another in honor? Meaning I should be competing with you. No, how can I praise you? Let me tell how can I thank you for what you've done? You, you, can you imagine what a marriage would look like if that were the case? If you were like, listen, baby, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, 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 no. Put, put, the, like, put, put, the, dish, like, put the dishes down. I, I want to outdo you in showing me honor. And you get in a fight over who's going to do the dishes. See, that's great, right? Outdoing one another in honor. Or how about this? Just thanking people. Isn't that good? Just taking the time to verbalize what you may already be thinking. Let it never be said that you have the privilege of not communicating that which is true because you think the person whom it's due already should know it. You need to communicate thankfulness and gratitude. Is that not what we do every Sunday in worshiping God? We communicate to him honor and praise and reverence based on his worth. And in the same way, in the family life, in the workplace, in your relationships, in the community, we need to look to outdo one another in honor. In honor. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just a quick exercise. (laughs) Quick exercise. I want you to think of somebody in here. (laughs) Not another state away. We can't see them or hug them today. (laughs) I want you to think of somebody in here who is worthy of honor that you can actually just say, let me get behind you today and thank you and in gratitude, commend you for a job well done. And don't everybody go to the worship team. (laughs) Who can you thank in here? Who can you commend? Who can we outdo in honor? Okay, now go to another state. Where are your family? Where's your family? How can you honor those parents who are still living for the job that they did do, not the job that they didn't? How can you outdo them in honor showing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? See, if we live that way, it'll free our hearts. It will honor God and it will honor those that we find ourselves with. Because ultimately, it's about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just end with this psalm, a promise that he gave in Psalm 91. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 91. Please read it in its entirety later. But I just wanted to say this about what he says about living a life of honor. He says, because he, or he substitute the she, holds fast to me in love. This is what God says. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God's saying, when you love me, when you honor me, guess what? I'll honor you. I'll make you a man or a woman worthy of honor in this life as well as the next. And that's what we want to be. 
the gospel is clearly this, that God humbled himself in the midst of sinful and broken humanity to come and walk amongst those who did not deserve it, to live the life that we should have lived. And on the cross, take the shame that we brought upon ourselves, upon himself, and die the death that we should have died. Because he was sinless and living a life to honor the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm giving you grace to not only be forgiven through my resurrection from the dead, but also empowered by that same Holy Spirit to live a life of honor now unto me. Showing that same grace that I've shown you. And not only honor me, but honor me practically by the honor that you show others. See, we're going to bless the city and not curse it. Amen? We're going to bless our leaders. That's what the Bible says. It says pray for the rulers and those who are in authority. We're going to bless them and not curse them. Amen? If God's going to do a work in Chicago, we're going to believe him to change their hearts rather than condemn them to change their hearts or remove them. Amen? <laughs> that's, a, that's an option too. And so we're going to be a people of honor because God himself set that example for us. So let's have our worship team come up and then we'll go into our time of response. To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.